Greetings, everyone. This is the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined, as per always, by Rail Riding Richard. Hello. And Mississippi Mud Michael. Howdy. Uh, Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the Mount Rushmore of any given topic, such as which pie is best to steal from the open window, cooling on a windowsill, <laughs> or which railroad bull is the meanest, orneriest fella in the railroad yard. Uh, and uh, this week is colors of bindle stick yeah, na- uh, neckerchiefs. Yeah. Stick it's red with white polka dots. Okay. That's, that's the right answer. Uh, the topic this week they're deliberating is hobos, tramps, and bums. And Michael chose it. This is my topic for two reasons. One of the reasons is one of my choices, so we'll get into that later. But the second reason is, I guess they're both really about my son, Felix, um, who just turned two. He has a book, which is called Richard Scary's Best Picture Dictionary Book. And in that book, they have all these different characters. You know, you might know Richard Scary from, he has like a little worm character that drives around in an apple. But he has all, you know. Busy Town. Busy Town, yes. And anyway, he has this picture book, and in it, are the three beggars. Wolfson, who's a wolf, Babooby, who's a baboon, and Ha Ha Ha, who's a hyena. And here, I'll show you guys a picture, just so you see what we're working with. There we go. Uh-huh. Michael's showing us a photo or illustration. Those are Wolfson, cute. Babooby, and Ha Ha Ha. Those are awesome. And to say Babooby is just the best thing in the world. <laughs> so these three beggars... <laughs> these <laughs> all right, Dick Scholar. These three beggars go around to Mrs. Bear's house and are always uh, getting a free meal. Sometimes getting into trouble. Uh, sometimes you're just hanging around and loafing and just doing nothing. <laughs> but they're always with Mrs. Bear, and Mr. Bear is not around. So I'm not Whoa. implying that Richard Scary uh, kind of wrote a kind of cuckolded husband sort of situation oh. with these three homeless guys uh-huh. that are coming in and railroading Mrs. Bear. But I'm not saying it's not there. <laughs> Um, and then the second reason we'll talk about. Okay. Okay. I th- I, you know, hobos and tramps and bums are this idealized version of a sad, the homeless. of a sad lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I think this, as we'll get into it, developed out of like the turn of the century and yeah. became a caricature of a person that um, has kind of infiltrated some aspect of pop culture. Awesome. Uh, the ethnographic uh, observations will be forthcoming. Uh, Richard, you start since Michael chose. All right. So my first choice is Charlie Chaplin's Little Tramp. Also on my list. Wow. What a cool choice. Well, I thought, I, I figured this would be a pretty popular one. Um, this is Charlie Chaplin's character. I, I know he did other characters throughout his film time, but this is the one when you think about Charlie Chaplin. Little, yeah. must, little Hitler mustache, bowler yeah. hat. Big baggy pants, yeah, whole thing. Um, originally started out just as a uh, a one off for a uh, that was created for a a, move, a short film called Mabel's Strange Predicament, uh-huh. where literally they told him go find something silly yeah. to wear, yeah, and he just threw on this kind of costume of two big pants and two tight top and this yeah. bowler hat and this Wait, wacky you're, cane. You're describing Diane Keaton in Annie Hall. <laughs> Wait, that wasn't Charlie Chaplin oh, who played him? <laughs> Shoot. Oh. Um, and apparently everyone loved it, and it stuck, and they wound up uh, yeah. making a move, another movie, uh, Kid Auto Races at Venice, mm. that sort of was the first one to really focus on the tramp character. Yeah. And they were popular, and it kind of just went from there. And the whole character is this sort of ne'er-do-well who 
I think through his clothing and through his actions, is attempting to raise himself up yeah. in the social strata and just keeps getting kicked back down. Yeah. He's always somehow getting involved with a wealthy dowager <laughs> or some highfalutin yeah. lady. and But he's also the most human of all the people he, he interacts with. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always pushed down, knocked around for who yeah. he is, a homeless guy. Yeah. But always kind of moving around from... Mm-hmm. Um, job to job, from situation to situation, just trying to trying to survive in this like this, you know, pre depression, post depression world. Yeah, and there's usually a ingenue whose mm-hmm. attentions he's striving for, and usually doesn't wind up getting it. Mm-hmm. But usually along the way, does something to help her or, or benefit someone she likes. But for whatever reason, circumstances kind of make it so he has to move on. Yeah, from there, um, you know, one of the most iconic characters. In all of movies, oh yes, without a doubt, you know, all the way through uh, the Great Dictator, which mm-hmm. Chaplin said, "Well, I wasn't really playing the little tramp in the Great Dictator, the non-Hitler Hitler, yeah, the the, the one who's not not Hitler, yeah." <laughs> um, but the characters have a lot of similarities, even if he's talking, and obviously the little tramp was a silent film mm-hmm. sort of uh, construction. And I just I there's a bar that my wife and I go to sometimes that will show silent films. Oh. Like instead of, you know. Sports. Instead of showing sports and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. Tell me about that bar. Which bar is that? That's the one that, <laughs> that's the one that I want to go to. What cable yeah. package do they subscribe to? Wow. It's only a dollar. This cable. All they have is canopy. <laughs> All they have is like the library. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. All the, the public library. library. Public library yeah. films. And they run out after nine. <laughs> and it's great. I mean, I, I've, you know, because it's, they're silent films. You don't need to have any sound on at yeah. the bar. To be able to appreciate them. So I've mm-hmm. kind of got to, through going to that bar and over the years and always seeing the, you know, a lot of Charlie Chaplin films and Buster Keaton films, I've gotten to appreciate these silent films more. Mm-hmm. There was a time that um, Emily and I, I can't remember if it was right when Felix was born or right before, that we were sitting down and like through like the Smithsonian app, like watching just, yeah. we would just run through a bunch of just Chaplin films from, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the one where he goes north. And chases around a guy dressed in a chicken suit. Um, oh, it wasn't the cabin or something. It's the one with the cabin. Yeah. But I can't think of it. Yeah. But, well, but they do the proto cartoon thing where he looks at somebody and they turn into like food. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Da- dances with the dances with the the uh, rolls. The rolls, <laughs> yeah. and he's just uh, delightful. Yeah. Now I had heard a few things in regards to like that character being something. So when he did the tramp, it's not like he was the first person to uh, portray a hobo tramp in cinema but it's charlie freaking chaplin so yeah. it's like michelangelo wasn't the first one to sculpt in marble but he does it with such dexterity and pathos and he breathing the realness of life through this just the celluloid that at that time is a hand cranked kind of kind of film that looks sped up even though it wasn't but like yeah, there's so much pathos and so much real emotion. You have you end up coming away with such empathy for this guy. This con- like his entire life is being kicked around. Whether it's it's usually not by his own actions. Like usually yeah. he, like society has run him down. Mm-hmm. He's lost a job because the factory closed. I know a lot of his uh, movies kind of feature an aspect of like this modern world. Well, talk about the you know uh, like this postmodern world where industrialization has taken over and taken away all these people's yeah. uh, jobs. And he's just, they're just living on the edge and just trying to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, he was, I read his book about Chaplin, he was probably a bigger superstar than you can even imagine there being ever again. Uh, and people would figure out, if he hopped on a train to go to another state or to go screening to go to New York from California, people would find out at every st- train station where he was and just mob. Like, you can't imagine somebody being bigger as celebrated than Chaplin was. Yeah. The Also, he was, I think, when the people were creating Mickey Mouse, he was one of the archetypes. It was a half Errol Flynn, half uh, the tramp, essentially. I just ate a cashew, so this is going to sound really disgusting okay. while I finish this. Yeah. But I was going to, actually, I had been thinking about, was going to point out one of the movies that I remember watching at the bar was Kid Otto Races and uh-huh. his, his first yeah. uh, short. And much like with Bugs Bunny, when you watch those early Bugs Bunny cartoons, yeah, Bugs Bunny's a real jerk. Yeah. Right? It's He's not necessarily... In the later cartoons, like Elmer's trying to hunt him, or Yosemite Sam's trying to, you know, do something, or the opera singers, you know... Bugs Bunny at him. some point is just trying to live his life, and then things come along. Yeah. Right. But in the early Bugs Bunny films, he's really just a mischievous jerk. He liked to mix uh-huh. it up. Yeah. And and, and, I, and I remember watching uh, a Kid Otto at the Venice Races, and much in the same way, his character is is less put upon and more sort of there to be mm. sort of a mischievous yeah. imp. And it wasn't, I, I think it wasn't until they did a few of them that they really kind of nailed mm-hmm. that pathos and that kind of humanity to mm-hmm. the character. So I think... Yeah. That, in, in a kind of cockeyed sort of way, it, it, mm-hmm. you can see where these two kind of like, I think Bugs Bunny's got a lot of parallels to the Tramp, yeah. I guess, um, from the way they're they're put together. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, uh, Michael, what's your second choice? My second choice is, um, I'll just go with the one that uh, kind of inspired it, uh, Baloo the Bear. Nice. I love Baloo. <laughs> uh, we've been watching The Jungle Book nonstop for maybe six months to a year. Yeah. Felix. Just, I hope it's the cartoon. Just the cartoon. Okay. And good. the Phil Harris yeah. know, voiced Baloo the Bear. And my son loves him. And I love the idea that Mowgli, and we're talking about the, ultimately the story that, you know, the Rudyard Kipling story, but the 1967 animated Disney yeah. version. And in it, Mowgli meets this bear, Baloo, who's uh-huh. just this carefree, Minding his own business, yeah. Jungle bum, as he's described by Bagheera, mm-hmm. and his entire song to Mowgli is teaching him like, "You just got to live off the land and don't worry about everyone else and don't work hard because it's gonna get you nowhere. Yeah. You'll get by with the bare necessities of life, and you'll be fine." Yeah. Of course, he doesn't take into account that Mowgli doesn't have sharp claws, mm-hmm. can't really climb a tree very well. He almost kills him by getting him crushed under a rock, and he's yeah. a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. But to Baloo, it's just like, hey, that's part of life, yeah. and you just deal with it. Yeah. I feel like you could have just said Phil Harris character from 60s. Yeah, from many things. Yeah, whether he was um, uh, Thomas, Thomas O'Malley, O'Malley yeah. uh, or uh, I guess he also played kind of a homeless-type person as a a bear in Robin Hood, little mm-hmm. John, yeah. you know, it's not like they, it's not like they lived in luxury there too. Yeah. But, um, the, just the carefreeness, I yeah. think really captured an essence of what hobos, tramps and bums kind of put out there is like they're living off the grid. Yeah. They don't follow the man's rules. He's out there just doing what 
he's going to do and mm-hmm. singing his song. And then, of course, he just, you know, gets into trouble. What what whole, how does a fantasy come from that? And which, like, uh, Baloo and the Tramp, they're ultimately fantasies of individuals who are wage slaves mm-hmm. <laughs> who think... Wouldn't it be great to not have to clock answer in? Answer to anyone. Answer to anybody. Yeah. But we all, don't we, isn't the reason why we end up going back to work on Monday morning? Because we know that that's well, not Well, if you want to be part of society. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, it, it is a fantasy. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think you can, I don't think one can really pull it off successfully living as part of society unless you've done something within society. Like, if you are the type of person who has enough money to buy a plot of land out Uh in the middle of Oregon and you want to live off your land. At some point, you would have had to have inherited the land or had enough money to buy the land and to sustain yourself or whatever. That's a doable fantasy that relies of you having been a part of society at some Mm -hmm. point. For this caricature of a hobo tramp and bum that's riding the rails and just going from town to town and sustaining and doing what you can to get by. Yeah. I guess to a certain person it's idealized and you don't want to, there's an anti-authoritarianism that's built in there. It's the libertarian dream of just like, I just do what I want. I don't pay taxes. I don't, Yeah. I am me and that's all I need to be. I don't need to be part of society. So yeah, Th- this to overanalyze it, which I is my MO. I think of jungle book as being a Rudyard Kipling, they seem like the products of colonialization. Europeans coming to these untouched native areas and finding these people who just live off the land mm. and depicting them in literature in some ways, these carefree, natural people who just pluck the fruit from the trees, they catch the fish from the stream and have no cares that we idiots in industrialized, uh, westernized world have. There's a character who's Colonel Hati, who is uh, like the native Indian elephant, who's gone. <laughs> totally it sounds like British. he should have a whistle. He's bought into what the Brits have sold him. Oh, okay. They sold him the entire ball of yarn of being like, oh, he served in the Maharaja's uh, Pakistan oh, yeah. Brigade. Yeah. And, uh, he, like he, he's he's the native that has bought into the imperialist society. Yeah. Baloo doesn't. No. 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 He's. He's as cool as you can get. I mean, you know, he's teamed up with... It's a very odd couple Yeah. Bagheera is is stuffy and wants to go by the laws of the jungle and get Mowgli out of the jungle to the man village yeah. and where he will be safe. And Baloo's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing okay. Why can't this kid? Yeah. So... It seems like every naif in Disney has these two voices. There's the Jiminy Cricket and mm. then there's the seducer. You know, there's that person coming... Come to Never, Neverland. Comes out. Yeah, 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 yeah. We watched Pinocchio recently. Did you? Really? <laughs> All of this stuff is just like you start. Pinocchio is a weird movie to watch. Oh yeah, it is strange. Felix has uh, this one little Demetrodon toy or this little dinosaur toy that has a green Ooh. underbelly. Demetrodon's not a dinosaur. Yeah, I know he's a synapsid. We've been going through this whole thing, sure. and uh, <laughs> he. <laughs> uh, we're like, what's his name? And he says Pinocchio, and we're like. Why is it Pinocchio? He says, because he's green. Because of this one scene when Pinocchio inhales a cigar oh, yeah. and turns green. And so my two-year-old kid has decided that this character is now Pinocchio because he turns green. Like oh, Pinocchio. wow. And it's wild. <laughs> so, like, watch your kids develop that thought process. And you're like, you are thinking on another plane yeah. of existence that I just don't understand yet. Has, has your two-year-old realized that the bad guys actually don't get their comeuppance in the movie? In Pinocchio? Yeah. 
Like Honest uh, John and whatever the name of the guy who runs the Pleasure Island. What's the, what's the main? I, I can't bigger, remember his name. Bigger bad guy. Yeah. But Pinocchio escapes, but all the rest or of the Stromboli. kids. Or Stromboli. Yeah. The yeah. Rest of, all the rest of the kids are stuck uh-huh. there being turned into donkeys. He doesn't come back to rescue them. I would like to know, we're on a Pinocchio tangent, what the cash flow, how much did it cost to make Pleasure Island and those donkeys, those kids destroy the place? Oh. Then they turn around, turn them into donkeys and sell them. How much did a, do- how worth, how much was a donkey <laughs> worth in, 15, in 1500s, yeah. oh, Michael, 1700s I, Italy? There is a, uh, there's a, there's a YouTube channel called Film Theories. And this, then, and my son Simon has now become obsessed with these. And he goes on, he basically spends like 10, 15 minutes doing all this research about like little, trying to debunk what, what things would be in real life. Oh. And he actually, we watched this this weekend. Oh, great. He does an this episode on the economics of Pleasure Island and how much it would cost to rebuild it and how much they would get per donkey. And what? really, it's all capital costs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the actual, like, Carousel and the, the the roller coaster, those can be replaced relatively inexpensively compared to what he's earning for thousands of kids on Pleasure Island. Okay. Um, being turned into donkeys and what you could sell a donkey for each. The, each. the biggest I- issue is the actual just building the island in the first place. Okay. So if you're, you and your son can look up the monetary situation in the world of Harry Potter, I know that last week we talked about... Um, the invisibility cloak in Harry Potter, but um, all of Vander's wands are remarkably cheap for how much the contents of them are to produce, like to buy like a dragon's scale or, or a phoenix unicorn, oh. unicorn hair. Like those are like $9 a galleon. And then he sell, turns around like sells them for $7 or something like it's ridiculous. Oh. So he's losing money. Oh. And if these are wizards that like buy one wand per their lifetime for the most part, maybe right. you get two. Ollivander mm. should be going out of business. I assumed that probably Hogwarts is underwriting part of the costs. Oh, okay. That's just my assumption. Well, see if there's, see if there's a crazy YouTube video that debunks the, the money. That would, I, I will look Especially that up. since you guys just finished reading the books. Yeah, that'll be great. Let's tear this kid's imagination <laughs> in the world apart. Uh, Richard, your second choice is what? All right, so my second choice is Weary Willie, otherwise known as AKA oh, as played yeah. by Emmett Kelly. Yeah. Also on my list. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. So uh, Emmett Kelly, if, if you were to picture the sad clown, the hobo clown, yeah. uh, that's Weary Willie. Yeah. Um, was originally created, Jeff, uh, by Emmett Kelly as an advertising slo- or logo uh-huh. in the 1920s in Kansas City. Is it true? Yeah. Wow. He's a Kansas City guy, much like okay. yourself. Wow. Or Kansas City adjacent, I, I guess. Yeah, born in Kansas. Right on. Yeah. Um, and he actually w- had started off, had kind of gotten into, when he first got into the, the, the clowning world, mm-hmm. I don't know what you call that, Professional in. clowning. Yeah. I think it's the dark cinematic clown universe. <laughs> right. Is what we call it now. <laughs> um, he, this is what he wanted to, he kind of wanted to play this character and uh-huh. the owners of circuses were like, this is way too depressing. No, we want wacky clowns, you know, like yeah. with the white face and, you know. They red. fall down and make, and make it, clowns of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and tumble out of a clown car, yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. The, the Dumbo clowns. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and that wasn't what Weary Willie was, um, and it wasn't until the onset of the Depression when oh. hobos kind of became 
you know, mm-hmm. just part of the culture. You yeah. just saw hobos out there on the street every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that ironically, that's what kind of led circus owners to say, okay, we can have a representation of this type of character. Yeah. That became a sympathetic representation of this lifestyle. And he was very sad looking mm-hmm. clown. Mm-hmm. And you felt something for him when he got hit in the face with a yeah. pie or whatever. It wasn't just like, oh, ha look at him. It was... Yeah. And, and, and actually, usually he was... He, he, what he would do is he would come on between acts mm-hmm. and do something like be sweeping up the floor and try to sweep up a spotlight and the spotlight would move and he'd have to keep up with it. So a lot of times he was, do, he was portrayed as doing a job at the circus and trying to do his best to do this even though circumstances kind of like with Charlie Chaplin would lead him to fail or lead him into these comedic sort of mm-hmm. uh, areas. But I think it actually showed like the hobo as someone who's willing to work, but maybe necessarily isn't been, hasn't been given a fair shake in life. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a little bit different than that idea of the hobo as someone who is just living this kind of carefree lifestyle. Like you said, with, you know, by, by extension blue, mm-hmm. um, I think this is this this was more the idea of someone who kind of has gotten a hard break in life, gotten a rough deal, but somehow still has this optimism in him. Yeah. No matter keep going no matter what. Yeah. He was really also um he became a mascot for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, is that right? Yep. In the 1950s uh cuz they were known as Dem Bums. Yeah. So he was, and they were always this also sad sack team that was always second fiddle, mm-hmm. third rate sometimes to the Yankees. To the Yankees, Giants, yeah. So he, he, this was this team that had adopted this uh, little brother mentality. Yeah, of those that were always put upon by the ah. by the team that had all the money, that had all the stars, mm-hmm. and he was this guy that was this perfect representation of. Yeah, I'm. We're still. We might be the lower class, but we're still fighting. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, he actually left for the Dodgers, if I'm not mistaken, because he had left Ringling Brothers over a, a union dispute or, a, or some sort of contract dispute. Mm-hmm. So he decided to retire the character from the circus, went on and did it uh, professionally for the Giants. Yeah. He was kind of the, the proto-San Diego chicken, oh, wow. if you will. Yeah. Um, and also the other thing is his son, Emma Kelly Jr., wound up becoming a uh, yeah. successful professional uh, mm-hmm. clown as well. And created a character that was eerily similar yeah. to Weary Willie. And in fact, they wound up becoming estranged over that, mm-hmm. which, you know, sad clown face for that, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This, if you go another generation, like in, in Emmett Kelly uh, Jr.'s life, he talks about working at various jobs, but then kind of being absorbed back into clowning as part of his legacy, but almost, uh, almost like his curse. Um, he and his wife, his wife plead with him to, not go on the road as a clown. Um, and she said that his character, Willie, or his father's character had Willie, had taken over her husband. And um, his son, Paul Anthony Kelly, lost a leg in a train accident. Uh, Junior, Amicelli Junior came home for a while, but then left after a bit saying, Willie's got itchy feet. Like, Willie... Is his own character. Yeah. Is separate persona. Yes, it's Venom, the Venom. Yeah. <laughs> who And then Paul Anthony Kelly took to clowning, as was his legacy, the grandson well, of Emmett Kelly. Well, only one leg. Well, yeah, yeah, single leg. Kelly, who performed, once performed circus acrobatics on an artificial leg using the name Emmett Kelly III. Oh, boy. 
went on trial for killing two people. And well, that's the greatest show on earth. Yeah. Now that's just, you're mixing that up without plot. Yeah. Um, made the pleas in connection with two homosexually related slings in Oceanside, uh, California, and ultimately pled guilty to first degree murder in one death and second degree murder in the other. So, kind of went downhill for the Kelly clown yeah, okay. clan. Good times. Here's, yeah. a nice, here's a nice retro Batman reference for you. Okay. Um, the Cesar Romero the, 19, the okay. Cesar Romero. Joker, yeah. when he first debuted, was wearing a weary yes. willy mask, oh, a very yeah. iconic hobo yeah. clown mask. And then the same thing happened when Heath Ledger oh, I love that. appeared as in The Dark Knight as, as the Joker. That's the best. Um, but it's just the, the image of him is the image that you think of of the sad yeah. hobo clown. It was literally him. Yeah. I'm sure he made no money off of this. Well, that seems more in the pocket with European clowning, where there's something a little bit garish or frightening mm. about that face. It isn't necessarily meant to just make you laugh and be harmless looking. Okay, guys, we are at halftime and want to uh, implore the listening audience to subscribe to our podcast. If you were just uh, listening to this one episode just to give it a test, please hit the subscribe button and do us also a favor of listening to some past episodes. Rate the uh, podcast you're listening to right now and then go back and rate some previous ones. Uh, also, share it if you wouldn't mind. Hit that share button that lists, uh, sits in your podcast reader, whether you're listening through Apple's music or podcast app, whatever it's going to be called. You could be listening through Stitcher or iHeartRadio or Spotify. We'd love for you to share it with your friends. We'd love for you to join us in social media in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and let us know what you think about the podcast. Let us know what your suggestions are for future topics. That would be super cool. You'd be doing us a solid. At this time, I think we can go back to our uh, choice of Richard's third choice. Richard, what do you got? All right, so my third choice is John Hodgman's Hobo Matters. Mm. Ah, fun. Um, John Hodgman, the uh, comedic rock hunter, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, uh, podcaster, author, actor. The PC in the Mac versus PC. PC in the Mac versus PC, exactly. Um, and in his book, Areas of My Expertise, devotes an entire section to all matters hobo related. Yeah. Um, and in, in addition to the book, also had a seven minute short. Uh, that was very much based on the American experience, these kind of Ken Burns oh. sort of documentaries about the hobo years, uh-huh. where it's all just like the same. It's basically like the same photo being slow panned in <laughs> yeah. over and over again as he's narrating it. Yeah. And it's just re- a ridiculous story. It's about how hobos were able to infiltrate the, the White House, and uh, FDR was only able to... Uh, uh, stop them through the uh, de- deployment of his latest uh, secret weapon, which was polio. Um, <laughs> and the fact that uh, uh, I think it was Walker Evans was a uh, was a uh, undercover hobo fighter. Wow! And that being a nature photographer was just a uh, mm-hmm. a, a ruse. Yeah, that he went around the country fighting hobos who were trying to take over the United States government. Wow! It, to me, it's it's an. I mean, if you think about Depression era hobos, it's very sad. Yeah. These are homeless people. Yeah. And John Hodgman is able to find a way to make something humorous out of this, which I guess is what we're trying to do, except he's actually being successful at it. Sure, for sure. Flailing around in our usual Mm -hmm. miserable way. Um, And then he also has the uh, the hobo names. 
Yeah. Oh, sure. His list of that's like, kind of hilarious. Three hundred hobo names. Yeah. However many it is. Back when um, we were on our kickball team, the Hobo Olympians, back in two thousand seven, yeah. I'd written to him about uh, our kickball team that we were on together, uh, giving him all the list of uh, hobo our, sports, our hobo sports and hobo names that we had. Yeah. Because each person on the team had to adopt a hobo name, and somehow. Uh, whatever it was, some people combined like an Olympic athlete yeah. with a hobo sort of name thing. <laughs> but I'd, Mary, I'd written to Mary, him, I think I got a form email back. Such as oh. Mary Lou Rottencrotch was one yes. of them. <laughs> uh, I got just a simple form, a form email, email back. Oh. Michael, do you remember some... Uh, the Hobo Olympians is not one of your choices, is it? It isn't, no. Okay. Do you remember some of the sports? I remember... Uh, oh, sure. Dumpster diving, uh, trash can lid discus, uh, <laughs> a swimming... Dot 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 in your own vomit. <laughs> um, there's a bunch of tramp Olean. Uh, nice. <laughs> also, uh, this was the season where our friend Pat, uh, or actually it was, it was Chapin, wasn't it, who stole the pie? No, it was Pat. Was it Pat? Mm-hmm. I think Chapin oh, was you had a pie on the third pie. base, right? Yeah, we, we decided that uh, one of the things you could do is steal the pie that was cooling on the windowsill. Yeah. At, that was the third base coach had. Yeah. And I believe it was Chapin, our friend Chapin, who's former guest on the show. Yeah. Um, who was holding at his third base hump, and uh, <laughs> Pat rounds third, grabs the pie. Somehow the pie, I seem to remember he almost slipped on the pie because he dropped it. It was just a giant mess, and the other team was trying to say that you can't have a pie on the field. And we were like, we're dressed up as hobos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we're just fucking around here. So I, I, and I mentioned this team because this is as... as as Michael pointed out, this was all around the same time of areas of my expertise. And yeah. All things hobo and hobo matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, because there is something ridiculous about the hobo lifestyle and all of these hobo symbols and the hobo names. Yeah. There is something inherently colorful, fantastical. fantastical about yeah. It. Yeah. I pulled up the list of sporting events. I found it, of course. Uh, shopping cart, bobsled, fencing. Which is selling <laughs> something you stole. Uh, freestyle loafing, chug of war, uh, hundred yard dash while carrying a cooling pie from a windowsill, bindle, bindle javelin, um, booze relay, hundred yard mooch, <laughs> bindle stick pole vault, kickball. Oh yeah, take a shot put. It's all involved drink, drinking. It uh, tells you where our heads were back in two thousand. Synchronized squatting. Uh, Boxcar boxing, a.k.a. bum fights. <laughs> um, little things. We'll post that on our social media. Is yeah. there anything completely... Like, if you... If I... We talk about the Disney and how there is one film that they don't uh, put out on home video. <laughs> Song of the South. Song of the South, in which it depicts the happy lives of uh, formerly... I think they're formally enslaved individuals. Sharecroppers. Sharecroppers. Let's, let's, let's be yeah. generous and say sharecroppers. And uh, depicting a state of an individual who didn't choose that level of poverty, uh, has a very a lot of labor and a lot of hard work and, zero, and not that much uh, result on that effort. And they have them singing and having a great time and very happy in their lot. Is that unfair to do to... <laughs> <laughs> to the hobos? To the hobos. That's what I wonder. Bums I mean, sounds like even more cut to the bone a little bit when you say Right. Hobo, hobo makes it seem like it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. You this, know, homeless makes it seem like you're yeah. homeless. And a ho- hobo is a nomadic individual. Am I right? That 
Yes. Yeah. Would travel from town to town, either looking for work or yeah. a friendly, someone friendly to take care of them. And I think if you search hobo, hobo etymology, it was from ho, hoboy. Hoboy. So a former employee of the agriculture industry who maybe due to the depression didn't have a job anymore. So anyway, yeah. the point of this is John Hodgman, please come on our show. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, Michael. My last choice is, you know, if you Google famous bums, boy, howdy, does it produce the results that you <laughs> should think it would produce. Um, also, Ennis, not safe for work. Okay. <laughs> but it also brings up my last choice, which is Leon Ray Livingston, who is listed as America's is he, is most famous hobo. Is oh, he wow. the king of the, king of the hobos? It's basically the king of the hobos. He's not a prize fighter. His nickname was A number one. Because he was riding the rails one day, and he was talking to another uh, hobo friend of his named Frenchie, because they all had nicknames. They're like, kid, you're going to get a nickname, and what you want to be in this lifestyle is you want to be A number one. Just go out there and be A number one. And he was a guy that was born um, in 1872, at the age of 11, was kind of left home. He was born at the age of 11? Born at the age of 11. That explains a lot. In 1872. Uh, born in 1872, and at the age of 11, left home, basically quasi yeah. kicked out. Not really. Yeah. Kind of just left because he was going to get a beating for acting up at school, and went on to live another 20 years of this kind of hobo lifestyle of going yeah. from town to town. And this was in this post Civil War, uh, pre Depression age when Richard kind of alluded to it, where um, people were just moving from town to town looking for work, and the yeah. sudden expansion of railroads yeah. after um, the Civil War, when suddenly all these railroads weren't used for transporting troops, they weren't used for transporting uh, weapons and goods, they were just started to open up a little bit, yeah. and so people could look for work, and you know, after what happened, sometimes there's just not work after the war, you don't necessarily, I know, you know, with, in World War II, you didn't come didn't come home to jobs <laughs> were taken up yeah. again. So uh, this guy himself was one of those people who would travel around, but then he did something else, which he started writing about his lifestyle. Oh. And he started writing a more kind of fantastic take on mm-hmm. it. He kind of helped popularize not hobo codes. He didn't invent them, oh. but he wrote about them and mm-hmm. kind of talked about what the scratch marks meant that kind of deepened the mythology oh, wow. of like this hobo lifestyle. Mm-hmm. He had his hobo name as uh, mm-hmm. Richard kind of mentioned too. And he kind of just went on with his life and was popular because of his writings for it and lived this way he... for 30 years. Died at like 71 in Pennsylvania. He got married, got off the road. Wow. And just lived. Does he show up to the hobo like editor to hand in his hobo writing well it's all in hobo code so you had to get someone to <laughs> so we had a second job just deciphering the hobo code you actually needed a cartographer not an editor okay but he just a very interesting yeah like a public homeless man was he the real deal or was he like poor richard like a nom de plume of a legit dude apparently real oh wow that's interesting famous, okay famous bum Let's also, Kim Kardashian has a famous bum, too. <laughs> if you search famous Only if you're in the UK, do not search that. <laughs> what a fun topic. Um, Richard has one more. Oh, that's what I thought. I was wondering where 
The, oh, oh, we got switched. Okay, because of blah. Okay, you can uh, you can find his signature of like the A number one kind of scratched really? around America under bridges and all around. People are still discovering him to this wow. day. Wow! So if you see like this old timey looking uh, A dash number one, it might be this amazing. guy that lived uh, you know 150 years ago. I love it. Uh, r- wrap it up. All right. So one of our favorite movies, I'm sure, around here and elsewhere with our listeners would be Pulp Fiction. Um, and at one point, Jules, as played by Samuel L. Jackson, says he's going to go wander the earth like Kane from uh, Kung yeah. Fu. Yeah. And of course, what does uh, Vin- Vinny Vega say? That makes you a bum. Uh. <laughs> so Kane from Kung Fu. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, I think he's. Th- there was something happening in the 1970s yeah. where there was this like whole genre of drifters yeah. or loners or tramps or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Who would go from town to town, get themselves involved in whatever the local, you know, drama is. Yeah, find Robert, a find Robert, a way. Robert Bruce Banner is the Incredible Hulk. Same thing. Yes, exactly. I uh, know this is a little bit earlier, but uh, the Fugitive would be another one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and then you know, wind up through force or otherwise solving the problem, yeah. and then having to move on to the next town. Yeah. Um, and this has a lot to do. I mean, I, I think it. This character feels like a throwback to a lot of Western characters. Yeah. We'd have like the the man with no name or, you know, another drifter kind of mm-hmm. high plane, you know, mm-hmm. high plane drifter. Is that mm-hmm. what it is? You know, these characters who would come in, yeah, get involved in some sort of whatever the, the feud is in, in the old West town. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Shane, come yeah. back. That Jack Reacher, the uh, whatever that Tom Cruise <laughs> flick. I actually, yeah. He kind of has that same sort of vibe. I actually had him provisionally on my list and took it off oh. because fuck Tom Cruise. Oh, oh all right. Um, also because Jack Reacher is supposed to be like 6'4". I think Justin Bieber is going to take care of that. Of yeah. Course, right? so, yeah. Yeah. Tom Cruise, please come on our podcast. <laughs> With John please, Hodgman. Please do not. Um, yeah, Jack Reacher is supposed to be like 6'4". Yeah. Books, so they kind of fudged that one yeah. a little bit with him. Um, you know, and it... Interesting fact: uh, Bruce Lee actually claimed that they stole, or that they stole the idea for Kung Fu from him. Oh. That he had been pitching this idea of he wanted it to be a western um, of this like kind of you know orphan who had been trained as a Shaolin yeah. monk and would go from place to place. And I think there's actually a show on AMC that's based off of Bruce Lee's concept. Wow, cool. Um, and so many Carradines were in this. I, mm-hmm. I forgot how many goddamn Carradines <laughs> yeah. there were, and each of them had a role in this. I didn't this. know that. Yeah, Keith, Keith Carradine played a young Kane, mm-hmm. I think, at some point. John. They, John Carradine played his, like, grandfather okay. or something like that. There was another Carradine played, like, another like a yeah. nephew or something. Wow. Shemp Carradine, I think, was involved <laughs> at some point. But I do remember, I just remember watching this as a kid, and it seemed like, it made that lifestyle seem, seem cool. Yeah. Because Kane from Kung Fu was... The man, yeah. Um, so I think I, I, I just I, I think it was a I think it's a really good example of that. Whatever was happening in like the sixties and seventies, where there's maybe it was the Jack Kerouac on the road sort of like mm-hmm. you know easy yeah. rider kind of thing happening, but the societal dropout, yeah, yeah, but, it, but yet goes by a moral code. It seems like Billy Jack was one of those yeah, exactly, guys. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so there's a lot of those type of characters. I think Kane was probably the the most representative example of mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! Oh, what a great suggestion, because that implies what 
it sounds like is that society might have interpreted him as a bum, um, although he would say he's searching. Yeah, he's searching or he's looking for something that, yeah, he's yeah. looking for something that he otherwise cannot yeah. find. And that part for a culture, uh, some cultures, this kind of journey is you're not, you're not aimless, you're on a journey. Right. And, and you, it's part of your maturation process is doing this thing. Plus he kicked ass. But he kicks fucking ass. Yeah. Um, okay. Dudes, uh, this is pretty awesome. And so let's dole out some points. Let's say you both get uh, Chaplin's Tramp and Weary Willie, because Brit minds think alike. And then uh, since I'd never heard of him before, uh, the most famous bum of all, Leon Ray Livingston. Wait a second. If you've never heard of him, how famous could he be? Oh, that's an interesting question. But then history is written not in hobo code, but in regular language. So maybe... So, so we you're saying if, 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 you, if your history books had been all uh, in symbols? Ho- in symbols, like, um, yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Okay. okay. And Objection then, withdrawn. Objection withdrawn. <laughs> and then, uh, because it's so ubiquitous with the recent one, uh, John Hodgman, Hobo Matters. So them's the choices. Um, you can call me a tramp. You can call me a bum. You can call me a hobo. You can call me a, don't. You can call me a gypsy. <laughs> call me a tramp <laughs> or a thief. Uh, so this has been the Mount Rushmore of uh, uh, hobos, tramps, and bumps. I, as always, am uh, Tennessee Jeff Hopkins. I'm Ramblin' Richard. I'm Michael. Ah! <laughs> Guys, there's a train. Hey, the, the 222 to New Orleans is coming, and let's, let's run for it. <laughs>